0: Okay, everyone, we're going to be starting a new book today. It's the book of Obadiah. The book of Obadiah is in the Old Testament, and there's only one chapter. And in one chapter, there's t- just 21 verses. So we'll see how our study goes. I've never read this uh, this book, and so I'm really excited to to to, um, to be in this with you. Now, Obadiah, this book is Obadiah. We really don't know when Obadiah wrote Obadiah. Um, some people say it's probably um, after the fall perhaps of uh, Jerusalem when the Babylonians uh, came in, and somewhere in between that time after Jerusalem falls to the future, you know to some day in the future when when Christ will return. So we'll see how that plays out as we as we get to study it so one thing about uh this book of Obadiah it seems to central uh, it seems to centralize its uh um, attention on the kingdom of Edom. Now, the kingdom of Edom is um, a little bit on the eastern side of the of the Dead Sea and the jordan river uh so um the, the people of Edom were actually uh, descendants of the Israelites. <clears throat> so um, remember, I believe it was Isaac and Rebekah had two sons. One is Jacob and one is Esau. Esau was a big, strong guy. He was really good and he's skilled at hunting. Uh, Jacob was more or less the shrimpy, uh, kid of the family. And he was more interested, um, on, you know, uh, hanging around his mom and what was, uh, you know, learning how, uh, some of her skills at cooking or things like that. He kind of was a, a wheeler dealer kind of guy. And so, uh, anyway, um, Esau, was apparently very prideful in his physical strength and physical abilities. And he would always go out and hunt stuff and bring stuff in. And, you know, that would, of course, make his dad real happy, you know. And, you know, if you can imagine the family dynamics, there's always one kid who stands out and makes everybody happy. Maybe it's the kid who's the football star or the soccer player star or the kid who gets all the attention. And and that's not to say, you know, that kind of stuff is bad, you know, that's all good. But apparently um, Esau let all this kind of go to his head and which is bad. And so he is basically, at, you know, as the story goes on with Jacob and Esau, um, Jacob, you know, had a, a very, very strong heart to have the birthright of the family. He wanted the family birthright and of course that naturally would go to the oldest son that was Esau's and Esau really doesn't care anything about it he was so confident and self-confident in his own abilities um you know that seemed to be more of what what he uh, was all about so of course one day you know Jacob decides he's gonna prepare this great stew and he does and Esau comes back you know and he's hungry Perhaps he didn't have anything. I can't remember the details, but perhaps he didn't have anything to eat that day or he couldn't. He didn't find anything when he went out to hunt. And so um, he, you know, basically comes back and says, oh, you got to give me some of that soup. <clears throat> and so Jacob says, you know, sure, no problem, but I'll give you the soup if you give me the birthright. That's what I really want. And so um, Esau doesn't care anything about it, you know, because he places all his faith and his trust in his own abilities. And so for a bowl of soup, basically, um, Esau trades away his birthright. Jacob gets the birthright, Esau gets the soup. What happens? Well, the soup eventually dries, you know, eventually you eat up the soup and there's no more soup left. And then what happens? Well, es- uh, Esau gets mad because he, you know, he's, he doesn't have his birthright anymore. And it finally dawns on him, you know, perhaps what losing a birthright really means over a bowl of soup. I think it's interesting, you know, that kind of a story, perhaps God uses these, you know, lives of these people in this story to illustrate to us, even today, what having a birthright really means and what giving up a birthright really means. What do you have to do to give up your birthright? Well, you have to Place a lot of your faith and your trust in something else that you value more than your birthright. And even today, we are given a birthright through Jesus Christ to a holy family, to God's holy family. And we basically, to have that birthright, we have to be godly people. We have to, we have, to have put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ, in the sacrifice he gave to us, and to repent of our sins. That's the gift that we get we don't have to do anything we have to have a repentant heart but all of the tasks have been accomplished by Jesus Christ so that's our birthright we have a birthright so it's almost asking us would we give up that birthright for a bowl of soup and that's sometimes almost what the what it is what we what we're willing to trade our birthright for is it Is it pride? Is it possessions? Is it money? Is it um, chasing after lusts of the flesh? Is it chasing after popularity? Is it chasing after whatever your heart craves, whatever your, your mind is craving, whatever you want? You want tangible things. Is it just the pleasure of being full with a bowl of soup? And I think that puts it in real perspective for us that we have this amazing birthright and sometimes we are so easy to trade it away. And so when when um when Esau trades away his birthright, apparently he leaves, you know, and he forms another kingdom outside uh and right next to the nation Israel. It's on the other side of the Jordan River. It's almost like um, You know, very prophetic there that the promised land is going to be across the Jordan River. And, of course, Esau rejects that. So he moves away on the uh, back to the other side of the Jordan River that wasn't promised. You know, so these Edomites really were descendants of the nation Israel coming from the family of um, Isaac and Rebekah and so um it you know very illustrative of the fact that that birthright was rejected, and so the Edomites were always jealous of the nation Israel, they are always at odds, it's almost like your 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 cousins always at war with one another, you know, but this is sons, these are brothers always at war with one another, so it's like they've been they've been Antagonistic peoples all this time, even through history, even today. So um, God is saying, you know, to the now to the nation of Edom, He's addressing perhaps in Obadiah this this one chapter power packed, you know, book here. That there's going to be maybe a central theme here, and this is pride. And perhaps pride is so important that God gives one chapter to pride. One chapter to pride. Now, is it is it one chapter because God hates Edom so much? And hated Esau so much? No, it's because God hated the pride of Esau so much. And God hated the pride of the Edomites so much. Pride destroyed a family, pride broke up this these two brothers, Jacob and Esau. Pride broke up the nation, Israel. Pride in ourself, and when you think about how much God hates pride, McGee made the made the point today, and we've 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 talked about this you know before, uh, back in Proverbs. Chapter six, verse sixteen through nineteen. When we were studying Proverbs, we talked a lot about this. There, uh, there are um, six things that the Lord hates. Seven are an abomination to Him. And this is now verse seventeen. Haughty eyes, which are prideful eyes; a lying tongue; hands that shed innocent blood; a heart that devises wicked plans; feet that make haste to run to evil. A false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. These are things that the Lord hates. Seven are an abomination. The number one thing that the Lord hates is haunty eyes. Now, when you look up the word haunty um, in my Bible translations, um, there's a whole bunch of words that this sort of means like exalted eyes, lifted eyes that are lifted up, eyes that, you know, that are high and mighty, eyes that are raised up or presented eyes, lofty, to be high above someone, to reach high or to bring aloft, to raise up, to select, to draw away. And as McGee says, these are all elements of pride, These are prideful lies. And sometimes you can say anything, but look at the eyes. Sometimes There's an old saying that sometimes the eyes never lie. And you can see what somebody's really thinking if you look at their eyes. Isn't that amazing? People talk so much, but you never know what they really think. And, you know, so a lying tongue, God hates a lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood, God hates that a heart that devises wicked plans, a feet that make haste to run to evil, false witnesses, and people who sow discord among brothers. But it all starts with pride, doesn't it? And, you know, we were talking about the qualities of Christ back in Second Peter. The first thing, you know, is knowledge of Christ. The second thing is a virtuous heart. So knowledge of Christ brings a heart that has to change. The qualities of Christ don't start with our hearts. It starts with Christ. And after that, then in our heart, we have to have a virtuous heart. What does that mean? That means a heart that's centered on Christ, not a heart that's centered on ourselves. A repentant heart. So God is saying that pride is what he hates, is one of the things he hates most of all. And it's very interesting that the book of Obadiah is addressing the pride of Edom. And you think to yourself, oh, it's just about Edom. No, it's about us. It's a warning to us through Esau's life, through the nation. It's a warning about pride on a personal level and a national level. You've heard of personal pride, and you've also heard of national pride. Whether you have a, a, um, um, you're you under a macro, um, a macro sense of pride or a micro sense of pride. Okay? So this is what we're going to be looking at, at least, is, is from our study uh, as we start off today. We'll see how this works out. But God is addressing pride. So let's, with that in mind, let's start off the book of Obadiah, verse, uh, chapter chapter 1. It's always chapter 1 because there's only one chapter. So uh, chapter 1, verse 1, this is the vision of Obadiah. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. Okay, so here we go. We're, this is, you know, as characteristic of a lot of the prophets, they always says, you know, thus says the Lord. Again, he's saying, these aren't my words, people. These are God's words. We have... Heard a report from the Lord, and a messenger has been sent among the nations. Rise up. Let us rise against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be utterly despised. So, God is saying, number one, um, he is telling, he is telling people that Edom is going to be humbled, and he's going to do it. He is going to rise. He is going to make a bunch of nations rise up and go to battle with Edom. And so he's letting the Edomites know he's going to bring them down, and he's going to let the Edomites know that the nations that are going to come and fight for you are coming to fight against you, not because. They are so great. It's because God is so great and you are not so great. Your pride has gotten too much. And I'm going to bring you down because of your pride. And I'm telling you that I'm going to do it so that when it happens, you will know that it is because of your own pride and that I am doing it to you The God that you have rejected because your own pride has gotten in the way of your own heart. That's what he's saying. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be utterly despised. In other words, your greatness right now, your strength, your sense of security is coming to an end. Verse 3, The pride of your heart has deceived you, you who live in the clefts of the rock in your lofty dwelling, who say in your heart, Who will bring me down to the ground? Okay? So this is the pride of a nation. And they are very well respected. They have built this magnificent city in, in Petra, and it was built In a canyon, and the 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 entrance into the canyon had, as I as I remember reading about it, had very very narrow entranceway. It was a perfectly defensible city. They could defend this city, you know, because any army that would attack Petra would have to go through these narrow walls, and of course it'd probably be real easy to to um, to. Um, knock off soldiers as they come out through these narrow walls, could they, because any advancing army could never mount a strong attack, because it'd be you know almost like going in single file, and you just pop them off as they come in. So, and then the the actual city, the the you know where people live, they had carved out, um, you know, apartments in these in the rocks themselves. You know, it's almost like the very, very first condominium, you know, or the very, very first skyscrapers. These these folks were living, it was a city basically built into the wall of the canyon. And so, my goodness, what kind of a sense of security was that? And uh, I was re- reading somewhere about this, that the city was considered so secure and so safe to live that many uh folks brought or many nations and stuff brought gold and things there to store because it was so safe, so you could imagine the banking system and the 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 wealth that was there um, People just thought that this uh place was was the end all you know and if and if you wanted to live someplace safe and secure and keep your wealth under your control you know, Petra was it, and, you know, the people of this nation were really, really strong, the Edomites, and, you know, of course, they probably descended from, um, you know, uh, descendant of Isaac, but they were really descendants of Esau, you know, Esau was the man, he was the strong one, and uh, so he formed this uh, nation with, you know, apparently the values were of a strong hunter and warrior type people, and blah, 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 so, you know you could imagine that the pride of the nation was great and what they were able to what they were able to build and carve out literally they were carving out um their their uh, national identity and so their dwelling places were lofty and uh they were naturally saying no one will you know this city is going to last forever. No one's going to tear this place down. And then verse four, he's it, it reads, though you soar aloft like the eagle, though your nest is set among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. In other words, you know they were living in this um, um, kind of like a skyscraper built into this to the walls of the of the canyon of the of the rock you know and it's almost like you're soaring like the eagles because you're living high above other people the other you know people would be living on the ground in whatever you know structures that people would live in but these people were living very differently they were elevated they were they were soaring high above like the eagles though your nest is set among the stars in other words you'd have to look up your eyes would even have to look up to see where these people would live. And so, um, because they've advanced so much in the way they were living, perhaps in personal wealth and prosperity and safety, it goes a long way into what we consider safe dwelling spaces right now. It got, there's just a lot of this. And so what God is telling us through the book of Obadiah is that God is saying, because your hearts are not on me, because your hearts are so on yourself, so on your own um, um, sense of identity, you have a lot of pride. And what does God say about pride? And McGee asked the question kind of rhetorically. He asked the question, and, and I'm, I'm just going to paraphrase. He would say, um, if, if you had uh, someone in your church who committed adultery and was saying really, really bad things about the church... And then you had a meeting, would you would you say that person should be kicked out of the church? And 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 he was saying most people would say, sure, you know, kick that person out of the church. You know, that they, they don't need to be there. And so then uh if you had somebody also uh in the church that you saw was out just just um uh, living a wild life with all kind of sin and immorality in their life, you know, um and uh, they weren't telling anybody about it, but now the, it was uncovered. They were cheating on their wife or cheating on their husband, and they were just in all kinds of uh, bad things going on. Would you kick that person out of the church? And he said, you know, you know, a lot of people would say, sure, yeah. And then you got another person in the church, and this person in the church was just prideful all the time, talking about himself all the time, you know. And always kind of looking down on other people in the church. Would you kick that person out of the church, if you know, if that person was in the meeting? And he and he was saying most people, you know, the tender-hearted Christian people would say, no, let's talk to that person more, uh, you know, and, and you know, uh, tell them that they got to work on their pride. But, you know, they can stay in the church. And McGee was making the point that, you know, according to God, that person... Should be kicked out of the church too that's this is what he's talking about with the nation of Edom, and this is how bad pride is to God, and we don't think sometimes that pride's bad you know' Cause, because a lot of us are you know have pride ourselves we you know you wouldn't want to kick the church, anybody out of the church for stuff you're doing yourself. And so the point that, we're, that, uh, that uh, McGee makes, that Obadiah seems to be making here, is your pride is real, real, should be something you take seriously. Your pride. It's one of the things that God hates the most. As we see from Proverbs, one of the things that God hates the most because that's the thing that will get you in trouble the fastest. That's the thing that will come in between you and your Father in heaven. That will come between you and the Lord Jesus Christ. That will become that, that will get that will um uh, get in the way and get in between you and the Holy Spirit growing inside you is yourself, your own sense of self pride. How can you let the Holy Spirit work in you if your own sense of pride's in the way? How can you let the Word of God grow in your heart if you can't let it change your heart? How can you know Jesus Christ? Like Peter was telling us, it's the most precious thing you can ever own, it's also the most precious thing you could ever lose that we saw in Second Peter chapter 1 and chapter 2. It's your pride. Your pride will prevent your heart from repenting. Your pride will prevent your heart from being humble. Your pride will dictate what your uh, tongue will say, your hands will do. It will dictate whether your heart can... um, Prioritize. It will dictate where your feet run to. It will dictate the truth that comes out of your mouth. It will dictate whether you bring love to one another or whether you're one that ends up seeding discord among one another. It's your pride. So that's how important pride is, um, and that's how important our hearts need to be. We have to keep our hearts centered on Christ. That means not centered on ourselves. Pride. And he says in third verse 3, the pride of your heart. The pride of your heart. He's talking about your heart. He's talking about whether your heart's going to be centered on Christ or it's going to be centered on yourself. If it's centered on yourself, that's pride. So, the most critical thing that we saw in 2 Peter chapter 1 is knowledge of Christ, and then that produces a virtuous heart. We have to have a virtuous heart, a heart centered on Christ, rather than centered on ourselves. And if that's if it is centered on ourselves... It's in pride. So we're going to stop here and keep on with Obadiah tomorrow, and we're going to be talking about the pride of the heart. So from me to all of you, God bless you. We'll see you tomorrow next time. And uh, now we'll turn the rest of the podcast over to my co-host in Zambia, Matali. Matali, I uh, can't wait to hear your take on uh, the book of Obadiah. Take care. We'll see you tomorrow.
1: Hello. So today we begin our teaching in the Old Testament book of Obadiah, which is the shortest book in the Old Testament and it's only got 1 chapter and 21 verses. So yesterday we had some introductory remarks from Dr. J.V. McGee and we look he took out a verse from um the last book in the Old Testament that's Malachi and that was um from Malachi 1 verse 3 which reads but Esau I have hated and laid waste his mountains and his heritage for the jackals of the wilderness. So we should actually fix you know our minds um, on the following you know God did not say this statement when Esau and Jacob were boys or when they were born. He didn't say this when they actually became men, because a lot of people will tend to ask, you know, God is a God of love, but what about this statement? And, you know, Malachi, oh, sorry, uh, Esau and Jacob, you know, both of them, you know, miserably failed in their, like, in their lives. Uh, Jacob was a trickster. He used so much trickery and, you know, uh, corning schemes and all, but, you know, his heart was in the right place. And you have, um, Esau despised his birthright and Jacob under all that, you know, all the cleverness and all, and all his crookedness, there was the desire for God's things. And he went about getting the birthright of Esau in the wrong way. that uh, which God had actually vouched, saved to him and gave it to him the right way. So Jacob used some trickery and crooked way. And before he um, could become Israel, uh, God actually gave him that right in the, that birthright in the right way. So God had to actually break Jacob, and God broke his leg in order to actually get him, and he actually limped the rest of his life. So he wrestled with God. So um, and we we have this in uh in Egypt. You know the state uh the, the story of when Jacob went to Egypt. Um, so, in Egypt, he was actually leaning on a staff that he had leaned on for so many years because of the fact uh, that God finally got him and brought him to himself, so he finally you know broke Jacob and Jacob finally turned to God. so God never said he actually hated uh Esau nor he nor did he say he loved Jacob, so in Malachi one. Uh, verse 2 it actually reads i have loved you says the lord yet you say in what way have you loved us was not esau jacob's brother says the lord so you know one is a nation um of, of uh sorry that's esau yeah one is a nation of several people several million people and the other is also a nation so both jacob And Esau were nations of several million people. These were the fathers of the nations. So we see Israel has been used a lot by God. You know, here in Scripture, we've seen this in the Old Testament in these prophetic and historic books. So Israel has used has been used used a lot in the centuries, and um, you know, up to this point, and they will be there. you know, they actually will still be used. Um, you know, they have been used and, you know, they're actually, here we can see, you know, so many instances in which God has actually used them. Um, you know, there's been men in history like Moses, Joshua, Samuel, David, Hezekiah, uh, Nehemiah, Ezra, and so on and so forth, so many men. But Esau, the nation, that came from him because of because uh, it was a godly a godless, sorry, a nation. So God used all these men, but not Esau. So what actually caused God to hate Esau and that particular nation? Um, You know, Esau's nation, that's Edom. So in our introduction, uh, Dr. J.V. McGee put Esau under, you know, a microscope. You know, when you put him, you know, when you're trying to see something really small, um, you put like this microscope on it so that you can actually dissect it and see this particular thing that you're trying to see. Right. And that's what God has done here in the book of Abadiah on Esau. Like they have put, he has put a microscope on Esau's life and heart. So, um, God has put Esau under a microscope to actually enlarge him. So instead of having one man, we now have a nation. <clears throat> And Esau has been enlarged into a great, great nation. And we begin to see the real problem and, um, you know, the defect. Um, and we'll actually tend to get to understand why God actually made that statement. So we have Esau who is Edom. So Esau is Edom. And it's repeated three times in uh, the book of Genesis. That, you know, the nation Edom is Esau. So why did God actually hate Esau? What was Esau's sin? So we move to verse 2. I didn't read verse (laughs) 1. Let me just read verse 1 of Obadiah. Um, So it begins, The vision of Obadiah, thus says the Lord, concerning Edom. That's Esau. We have heard the report from the Lord, and a messenger has been sent among the nations, saying, verse 2 now, oh sorry, saying, Arise and let us rise up against her for battle. Verse two, behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be greatly despised. So here, these great people, the Edomites, um, as we will actually see that they were actually great people, are going to be brought down. And this is uh, a prophecy that looks to the future. So where we stand today, this prophecy has already been fulfilled. But then, you know, in the time of Obadiah, it wasn't yet fulfilled. It was looking to the future. Verse 3 goes on to read, The pride of your heart has deceived you, you who dwell in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high, you who say in your heart, Who will bring me down to the ground? So, God here says, He hates them because of their pride. So, here, verse 3 says, The pride of your heart has deceived you. So, that's what God hates. So in God's sight, pride is actually worse. It's one of the worst sins. It's worse than drunkenness. It's worse than, you know, um, you know, other sins, um, God, that's one of the, yes, the sins that other sins are equally bad, but God hates pride. And this gets down to where we actually live today. This is applicable to where we are living today. So pride is the sin of sins. It's like the mother of sins. It's one of the worst sins of all, and the scripture actually condemns it above everything else. So God says He hates pride, and you know it's like once you have that proud heart, you know everything else stems from it, because you start thinking you're above everyone else. You start thinking you're better than everyone else, and no one can tell you anything, and you know everything else starts stemming from that. So God says He hates pride, and if this uh is the thing, um Edom. Has and it's, it's actually um, that's what God actually hates, and that's what sorry, and that's what um Eden actually had, and um God can say Esau, I have hated, cause of their pride, so, let's turn to the book of Proverbs six sixteen, and here um the number one thing that God actually hates is pride, and Proverbs six sixteen reads, let me just read. These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, see pride comes first here. So a pride, a pri, uh, sorry, a proud look, a lying ton, tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that despises wicked plans, feet that are swift to running to evil, false witness, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among the brethren. So, the number one thing on God's hate parade is a proud look. So, you know, when, like, say, you know, you, you go to, like, church, right? I, I I go to church on a Sunday. And, you know, you when you have that one man or one woman who actually walks into church, you know, and looks at some poor person and, you know, turns up their nose and just, you know, makes a face and just, you know, has that judgy face on, judgy look on their face, you know, that, you know, they actually you know, they have actually committed a sin because they are just proud. They think they're better than, you know, that poor person. And this in God's sight is actually worse than actually getting drunk. And, um, you know, this uh, is not, it's, it's it's not condoning drunkness, no, but it's worse than getting drunk, being proud. So drunkness is bad. It's it's also equally bad, but this is something that um, is actually a lot worse because, you know, from pride stems all these other little um not little, all these other sins. So God says he resists the proud. So he is always on the side of the humble. So, you know, scripture has actually said the fear of the Lord is to hate evil and pride. So John actually tells us that uh, the pride of uh, life is not of the father. It actually comes from the devil. And today a lot of saints, you know, have pride of race pride of face and pride of grace they are even proud that they have been saved by grace i mean this is not this is something that we ought to be ashamed of like we don't deserve to be saved but god saved us through grace by grace and this is not something that we actually can brag about and be proud of it's something to actually glorify, you know, we ought to glorify God because of his grace and his mercy. It's something to glorify God about and it's something to actually humble us. So this is supposed to be humbling to us. So we should be ashamed of ourselves that we have to be saved by God's grace because there's no other way we're going to be saved because we are actually horrible, wicked sinners. We are filthy sinners and we have nothing to actually offer God. We have nothing to add to uh God's salvation. We have nothing to offer God for our salvation at all. God doesn't want anything from us because we're just nothing but filthy rags. So we have to be saved by his grace. And we should not even boast about this. And, you know, God gives grace to the humble. Um, And so let's this, uh, Jesus Christ had actually said, let this mind be in you, which also in christ jesus so jesus christ had you know lowly lowly yeah lowliness of mind and uh, he said i am meek and humble take my yoke upon me so we should try not try we should be like him so let our mind be in christ so pride was the sin of satan and this is what is actually destroying God's testimony today because we have a lot of proud s- saints out there. They go to church and they can't mix and mingle with other people. They just, you know, they just judge everyone else and they think they're better than everybody else. So pride brought Satan down. And he said, um, that's in the book of Isaiah, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will be like the most high. And this was also what... You know led Nebuchadnezzar into insanity because of his pride, and we have this in the book of Daniel. So let me turn to Daniel four thirty, and it reads um, the king spoke, saying, "Is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty, while the words was while the word was still in?" the king's mouth a voice fell from heaven king nebuchadnezzar to you it is departed sorry king nebuchadnezzar to you it is spoken the kingdom has departed from you and he went nuts because of his pride so when a man is actually lifted up by pride he's not lifted up at all no he's not he's has actually come down to the level of you know the wild beasts the beasts of the earth, the jackals of the earth, and God actually debases people. God debased Nebuchadnezzar. This was a powerful man, world ruler, and he brought him down to the level of beasts. Nebuchadnezzar was eating grass with the beasts of the ground. So what is pride? A definition of pride that we're given is pride of heart is the attitude of a life that declares its ability to live without God. And here we find the pride of the heart had lifted up the nation of Edom, Esau. And just like Esau, who despised his birthright and sold it for a bowl of soup. It's not that they were hungry in their house, in the house of, um, um, what's his name? Uh, not Isaiah. Uh, Isaac. Yes, Isaac. Um, they there was no hunger, but he just despised God. And he was proud and he thought, well, I don't need God. I can just make it on my own. So when he despised the birthright, he despised God. So Esau became a great nation, that's Edom. And this nation declared its ability to actually live without God. So the people, the generation continued to live on without God. So here, um, like it says in verse 3 the pride of your heart has deceived you you who dwell in the clefts of the rock whose habitation is high you who say in your heart who will bring me down to the ground so edom was a very unique place um in a rocky mountain so um you know it was actually uh hewn in a in a rock uh the city of petra And it actually still exists today. So it was a city that could easily be defended. And this city had become a place where, you know, the world nations found out that they were actually safe there. So um, all their so, and, and, and actually all was secure. Like, you know, we have like, what, what do we have today, Switzerland, where everybody just takes their deposits and their gold and silver. And, you know, many nations deposited, you know, sums of gold and silver there because they knew, okay, it was stable and secure and safe, you know, because there was that false sense of security because they actually felt that the city could not be taken as they, you know, actually dwelt in the cleft of the rock. So, um, they, uh, they revolted and rebelled against God, the Edomites, um, and because of their pride. And they felt, you know, who can bring us to the ground? I mean, like we're safe and secure. So verse 4 of Obadiah goes on to read, Though you ascend as high as the eagle. So here, the eagle. Um, you know, uh, the eagle is a symbol of deity. So now here we're seeing what God is actually going to do. So here, though you were sent um, as high as the eagle, like they put themselves in that uh, position of deity, and though you set your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, says the Lord. So, um, you know, they were going to actually try and overthrow God as Satan had actually tried to do it because they were, taking the place of god they were thinking we don't need god and satan had also tried this and they were going to actually become deity they were gonna handle god's business because you know they were living a life apart from god and today we have people who are actually trying to play little gods so they want to live without god because they think it's not necessary i don't need god so they actually don't need him that's what they feel but they forget There is a creator who actually made the heavens and the earth. You know, the air we breathe today, the sun we're enjoying, the rain that's coming down, you know, all that is God. The flowers that blossom, all that is God. So, God wants to actually guide our lives. He wants to go, He wants us to actually go to Him for salvation first. And He wants to take charge of our lives. So, let God be the captain of our lives. Let Him be the captain. Let Him take the wheel. If we actually live and control our own lives, it's actually pride. And we are committing sin. We just leave God out of it. Um, And if we continue in it as, you know, they are actually, um, you know, in the end, well, because of pride, um, the people who continue living in pride and living a life apart from God are actually going to be lost got to be a lost eternity and Edom is the incarnation of Esau they were a lost eternity because they were full of pride and they were living a life apart from God so yeah, this is today's teaching and um, I hope you all um, are enjoying it so far and um, hope to, hope you join us tomorrow thank you all for listening in, God bless stay safe and Bye-bye.